favorite part of the job. I really like people and leading people and treating them well and helping them grow and learn. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and along with my partner, Joe Favorito, we are happy to talk to all kinds of interesting executives in the world of sports on all different topics ranging from media to marketing to sponsorship to entrepreneurialism, technology, etc. Joe, welcome back to a new show. Tom. It's a Friday in January. Where were we last Friday night together? <laughs> we have to spend a second on that. Yeah. For any of you um, regular listeners, you know, we referenced professional bull riders and their visit to New York City last weekend. One week ago from tonight, we were recording this on January 12th. One week ago tonight, Joe and I spent part of the evening together in the shark cage in the middle of Madison's garden. <laughs> Joe... You and I have been in the biz a long time, been to a lot of events. That was one of the coolest things I've done. What What were your impressions of that, of that experience? It was, um, you know, we were there with our colleague, Glenn Herrine, um, and someone at some point said, it's like, it would be like sitting on the pitcher's mound as whoever it is, is throwing his first pitch and waiting for the ball to come back right at you. And, you know, other than... Um, I mean, the bulls and the horses didn't get that close other than there were a couple of horse rear ends that, that ended up like right. inches from us. But it was an amazing – I don't know what other sports you could actually do that in and, and sit so close at a very unique angle because you'd never you, – you know exactly what it's like. Other than, than getting on top of the chute, I don't know what else we could have done. But it was – I mean, PBR, for people who haven't been, is a tremendous in-person experience. It is – authentic it is the poster child for for authentic yeah. for sure you know everything from the border patrol officers walking around and and um the, bull the shoots where they keep the bulls waiting yeah. patiently the bulls themselves the um, um dave winfield in the crowd tom how yeah, about that now sitting right um, yeah pretty close so, to where we were that was um but yeah, it, they, you know, they bring the, they bring the energy in a really impressive way like the music yeah. Joe, um, I, I we didn't talk about that, but they, they had really good soundtrack for their events and what they did with the national anthem and the fire, yeah. uh, the fire display, the prayer, and, you know, a prayer before prayer, you know, you know, um, they're all in on like the entertainment experience. It was really fun. So thanks again, by the way, to last week's guest, John Sohegan from PBR for hooking us up and giving us a, a very memorable night. And by the way, I will do one more. My last plug of 2024 for PBR will be reminding everybody that they're coming back to the Northeast the weekend of March 1. They will be in Bridgeport, Connecticut, Joe. Yep. And uh, if we want, we can maybe go back to the cage. On so the check them out if you missed Sloan. that. Yeah. What was that? On the way back from MIT Sloan, which is that weekend. So, yeah. Anyway. anyway, another eventful week. And I did something, Joe, that... <clears throat> That uh, I don't know why this occurred to me. I was I was reading some stuff about AI this week because I I follow it quite closely, and all the different use cases. And as everybody who listens knows, Joe, I usually have a little banter about the stories of the week. And I have I have one that I want to mention, Joe. But I I actually went into the AI app that I use was Perplexity. They use the G Chat GPT language model. It's a great app, by the way. I have no affiliation with them, but it's just called Perplexity. Literally put it on your phone, tap it open, put in anything you want. So I tapped in the question, Joe, typed in the question, 
What were the biggest sports business stories of this week? This never occurred to me just to kind of get, mm -hmm. because some, as you know, some of the um, GPT stuff was not up to date with its Genius. language model, right? Yep. No longer. So mm -hmm. this is using, as I said, the chat GPT, I guess, 3.5. So it's mm -hmm. not maybe the most recent, but listen to this answer. The biggest sports business stories of this week include Netflix creating an NBA docuseries with LeBron James and Jason Tatum, Aston Villa striking a lucrative kit deal with Adidas, Chelsea partnering with cryptocurrency firm Bing X, the NFL offering buyouts to more than 200 employees, and LeBron James signing a trading card deal with Fanatics Collectibles. That's a pretty good answer. <laughs> and, and it left off fake Emmy awards. And well, there's know, more, there's more, but Pat uh, McAfee and, and, and yeah, or, or the first, uh, the history that's going to be made tomorrow in American media, which is the first ever NFL playoff game on streaming, a streaming service. So yep. uh, as they say, behind a paywall for anybody who listens to sports media podcasters or commentators, this has been an absolute obsession. I heard Chris Mad Dog Russo ranting about it the other day on his pod uh, Francesca's talked. To, I mean, everybody's talking about it because it's no surprise. Usually, the older members of the industry who think this is an outrage, but I think Joe, you and I, are, and maybe others, are starting to accept maybe this is the way yeah. it's moving. We can talk to our guest about that today. Uh, yeah. Such an interesting development. Um, now, I for one don't have Peacock, but I am an NFL fan, so yeah. I've got to make a decision in the next uh, twenty-four hours whether so, I borrow a password. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Well, so I have a dozen emails from Peacock asking me to buy, reminding me. So I'm on somebody's right. list, obviously. Right. Um, one other thing I want to add, and then we can quickly get to our guest, which I think is really important. Um, a newbie in our Columbia family, by the way. Yes. Um, but um, I am in Anaheim, California at the NWSL draft, which is tonight on ION, Tom, find ION. You're the, wait, you're in California right now? I didn't even realize yeah. that. Okay. okay. So, um, but it is also the um, soccer, the the youth soccer coaches convention, which is, I would say, ten thousand people in in one of the biggest expo spaces I've ever right. seen for everybody ordering stuff. Uh, and I will see our friend Andy Mitchell this afternoon from Syria because Syria has got a pretty big booth there. Nice, nice. Um, but fun. also, I wanted to give another shout out, which I didn't realize until yesterday. So uh, we had the NWSL PR meetings yesterday, and I did a presentation, and we did a panel. And in the room is one of our alums, George Fidel, who is now oh my God. the That's number funny. two communications person for the Carolina Courage. So I had no idea until I saw George in the room yesterday. I'm like, when did you get this job? So, wow. Um, but it, it, it's a really interesting thing. and You see the breadth and scope of what youth soccer means in this country, and I just – I was blown away by at least 10,000 people here. Wow. So, so, Joe, when is the actual draft? You said this evening? Tonight. Uh, so it's Friday night. It's okay. this Friday night on ION, 8 o'clock Eastern time, which obviously will have well passed by the time anybody listens to this. But um, listen. Well, let, me, let, me, let me put a question to Joe GPT and ask you what channel on my system ION is on because I have no idea. So I know where it is because somebody looked it up this morning. It's okay. actually channel three. It's between uh, two and four. It's between the CBS and the NBC affiliate on most. It actually, ION has a larger distribution huh. time than ESPN. Wow. So, okay. So man, just got to find it. Channel anyway. three. The last time yeah. I went to channel three was, I believe, never. So thank right. you. So, <laughs> so the last thing I will say about that is that the colleague I was talking to this morning about this, 
uh, Joel Feld, and, and he said, you know, I'm going to look it up right now. Let me see what the lead-in and the lead-out is. It's the exact same thing. They're in the middle of a Hawaii five zero marathon today. So the two hours they were taking out from 8 to 10 <laughs> oh for the NWSL God. draft, you know, hopefully there are some Hawaiian players who are around or, or fans of the 50th state who, you know, want to watch – uh, Dano before, before or after, but that's the middle. So it goes from Hawaii Five O Marathon, NWS. Wow, uh, yeah. So what a hey. tangled web that has been woven. Web, no pun intended. So yes. why don't we help uh, get go. our guests to help us untangle some of this web because mm -hmm. it's insanity. Anyway, many of you know our guest because she's been in the business a, a while with some pretty high-profile jobs. We're talking about our latest faculty member to the Columbia Sports Management Program, Bishwara Glassman. And many of you know her from her stints in MLS, where she was president of the Chicago Fire. She worked at Verizon and probably met a lot of folks in the industry through that job because Yahoo Sports is so big and important. And then a, a long stint at WW, excuse me, WMEIMG. And then a little bit of time in what uh, I guess we'd call corporate consulting and advisory stuff with uh, Lehman and McKinsey. Uh, Ishwara, welcome to the faculty and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited about both. So thank yeah. you for having me. Um, so let's just get to know you a little bit more. I just made a few references, but what an interesting career. Yeah. I think, as you know, with the way we approach the pod, since we have a lot of students listening, they kind of like to hear the, the, the story. Like, how did the heck did you get, how did this all unfold? So maybe just spend a few minutes and take us through the sequence, and yeah. then we can get into some of the stuff that's happening. Yeah, sure. So grew up in San Diego, played a lot of sports, watched a lot of sports, probably Played volleyball and tennis with the most passion and enthusiasm, really. Loved both. Um, went to a lot of Padres games with my dad. I will literally watch virtually any sport. My mother, in particular, likes fight sports, so that often surprises yeah. people. Um, my dad is still disappointed, even though I sort of have this professor title that I didn't become a doctor. So, you know, no matter how successful you are in life, you can still be a disappointment to your parents. <laughs> um, he, it was funny when I became president of the fire. He's like, that's cool and all, but you know, it'd be better if it were the Yankees. And I was like, yeah, I, I hear you, dad. Yeah, <laughs> on the road, maybe. Maybe one day. Yeah. Um, anyways, so I actually went to Columbia undergrad. So I, as many of you have heard on our faculty calls, I love Columbia. I am a huge Columbia fan. I went to Columbia undergrad, studied economics and mm -hmm. political science, worked on a bunch of political campaigns, interned at a bunch of banks. Honestly, had no idea that one could work in sports, so that wasn't on my radar at all at the time. Um, and then went to SIPA, Columbia School of International and Public Affairs, majored in international finance and business. Um, my One of my greatest loves is international politics, international relations. I think maybe one day when I retire, I'd love to be a diplomat. I think that's my one day dream goal. Um, I can pause there or keep going. So you tell no, me. No, that's cool. But wait, so, so you obviously got into the... Um into the world of consulting with McKinsey, which yeah. is a world unto itself, as most people know. Yeah. Um, but it appears that you were ready to move on after a few years. Is that a good way to yeah. say it? Yeah. yeah. I worked at McKinsey as a business analyst. Uh, it was among truly the smartest people I've ever worked with at McKinsey. Really, I learned so much. It's like getting another master's degree. I got to travel all over the world working on projects. I think for students, management consulting really taught me maybe how to ask questions. I'll just keep asking questions until I understand it. I sort of 
go into any situation with the confidence that I'll, I'll figure it out because I'm just going to keep asking you until I understand it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, McKinsey really taught me, you know, I thought, maybe I thought when I started at McKinsey that I was reasonably intelligent and reasonably hardworking, but everybody there is probably yeah. to an astounding exactly. degree. And right. I used to sleep in the office overnight. I fell asleep in front of the copier. Like we all worked really hard, but I learned that what could distinguish myself was people skills, like, you know, to be a business analyst, but be able to build a model and actually go talk to the CEO of the company we're consulting for was, I think, a little bit unique. Hmm. Um, yeah. I worked at Lehman Brothers. It's it's really good to understand financial statements and business analysis and stuff like that. But I wasn't passionate about banking. It's a great mm -hmm. skill set to learn, but it wasn't my passion. Um, so ended up working at IMG, was hired by a McKinsey alum. So it's sort of the power of networking and the McKinsey network, like the Columbia network is, is powerful. Right. Uh, I loved IMG. I was there for nine years, probably the most fun group of people I have ever worked with. We had a lot of fun. It's a great network. I did projects all over the world, um, worked a lot in strategy and operations. So business planning and pricing negotiations. Um, and then went to go work at Verizon Yahoo running partnerships for Yahoo sports. That was a great experience because I thought I always wanted to be a chief operating officer. Mm -hmm. And I still really love that side of the business, the strategy and running the business. But I love people too. I like being people facing and driving revenue and got to know people from all the different leagues. So And Jeff and Jeff was there at the time. Jeff yeah, was, and Jeff Reese was yeah. my boss and he's he's absolutely wonderful. Still yeah, one of John my very favorite him. people. Yeah. He taught me a lot about the media space. Like I didn't know sort of the media buying space. So that was yeah. great to learn. Let me just um Stop there for a second on Yahoo, because sure. um, I think you may know that I worked at AOL for a few years in the early days, and who would have guessed the the fate of AOL and Yahoo back then? Yeah. Because as we had to, um, back then, we were dealing with this reality that there was this force of, a, of an internet company, another portal, yeah. that put a lot of chips into the, to the middle of the table on sports, especially fantasy. Back in the early days, we've talked about this before in the pod, Yahoo did a kind of a miraculous thing. They became a huge, powerful force in the world of sports media yeah. in the Web 2.0 days yeah. and then kind of hit, you know, hit the buzzsaw like, like everybody did, uh, you know, in the teens of the disruption of media. Not, nothing necessarily to do yeah. with the, the quality of their content, things like that, just the market yeah. forces were so changed. But what was your take? Because you kind of came in a late cycle, Yahoo Sports. But Yahoo Sports, as I remind my students, is still a very big business. Yes. <laughs> so, so talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So for me, going to Yahoo Sports was, I mean, for your students out there, the most important thing in any job is the person you work for. And so working for someone who's going to teach you and be good to you and know about, like, you know, Jeff knows the names of my dog and my kids and my husband. <laughs> and he, he and he's he's also willing to tell me in a very nice way what I could do better, you know? Mm -hmm. So he was a wonderful boss and still a very good friend. But for me, it was an opportunity to learn the media space and to also be the forward-facing representative of Verizon and Yahoo to all of the leagues. Right. Um, you know, and I know that among a certain group of students who are younger, Yahoo is a bit of a dinosaur. Like, let's just, let's just be honest yeah. there. Mm -hmm. And that, I'm not going to debate whether that's true or not. Perception is, you know, in some ways, truth. But Yahoo has something like 10 million fantasy players or something like that. No kidding. Yeah, right. And so what makes that really interesting is, one, fantasy is an interesting and good business in and of itself. But I think with the legalizing, legalization of sports betting, 
the real magic is how do you convert those fantasy players who want to bet to bet through your platform. That was a lot of what I worked on when I was at Yahoo. Right. Right. So, so you obviously, or they never got into a proprietary betting, a sports, you didn't get into the sports book business. That's a whole nother kettle of fish. What did you do to handle this extension into legalized sports betting? Yeah. So there was definitely, you know, discussion about whether Yahoo or Verizon should be a legal, a book itself. I think, so. you know, there's a lot of regulations around that mm-hmm. and Verizon. And licensing fees. Yeah. And licensing fees and background checks. And, you know, Verizon is, a, is and, you know, it's no longer owns Yahoo, but Verizon is a publicly traded company. And that wasn't fundamentally the business that they wanted to be in. Verizon did not right. want to be a sports book. Right. You know, right. understandably so. ESPN has made the same decision in some ways not to be the sports book itself. Right. But, Yahoo wanted at some level to continue to be a profitable business and figure out how to monetize its users, but maybe more than monetizing the users, also serve those users. Like we know that fantasy users correlate highly with sports betters. So it was a really fun experience for me to get to go meet with all the different sports books and help pick a partner for Yahoo. Yeah. Not just negotiating the deal because it's not just about the financial terms. You really want to find a partner that you're going to work well with from a cultural perspective and we want to make sure their product and technology was good, all of that. Um, just one more question about Yahoo, Joe, uh, and then you can take mm-hmm. the next one. Ishwar, did, did you, at that point, thinking about the competitive set and your strategy, did you worry more about ESPN or the bar stools and the bleacher reports and all the disruption going on in social with sports, how they kind of cornered a lot of the, the market of, 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 of social content? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, when I was at Yahoo, it was sort of thought that there would be two lines of business. One was the true Yahoo Sports news engine, and the other side was the fantasy side. And maybe even the third side was the betting side. I think, to be quite honest, I think that was one of the challenges Yahoo had. I don't know that I have an answer because I yeah. quite honestly don't know that we figured yeah. it out yeah. of sort of what was the unique lane that Yahoo could play. I think it was quite clear that Yahoo's real unique lane was fantasy. Right. And I think ESPN... I don't know. I, th- I suspect ESPN Fantasy today has more players than Yahoo Fantasy. But mm-hmm. it, it's sort of this flywheel. ESPN has so many different ways of bringing them in. Right. What's most interesting about Fantasy users is they almost never switch platforms just because right. people who have their leagues, it's just a really big pain to switch. Yeah. So that gives an older brand like Yahoo a certain staying power. Yeah. Both products yeah. are very good. I think people just don't like to switch. Right. My sense is, is that that's what Barstool learned with Penn, or Penn learned with Barstool, I should say. Yeah. Is that this, the proverbial ship, uh, switching costs are extremely high, which anybody that's ever, even if you played fantasy, you know that. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, thank you. That's interesting. Yeah, so, so, I mean, parallel pathing that, the Verizon aspect of this is always interesting because for people who probably don't know today, Tom, that, that you know, there was a substantial content play that Verizon itself took on mm-hmm. with the NFL and, and trying to create its own kind of content channels. Um, How did that, at at that point, and where did did that ever go, Ishwar? I don't even know (laughs) where all that stuff went. It was called, what was it called? It was called, um, because they had their own shows and stuff too. I can't remember what exactly it was called. Yes, they did. Um, So how did that, I think it was a deal with complex media. That was one of the deals, I don't know if that was what you were thinking. Right. Um, But talk a little bit about that dynamic between, you know, the massive platform and, and the business of Verizon tied to, you know, the content side of Yahoo. Well, yeah, and Joe, the broader question of like AT and T trying this too, yeah. and not yeah. necessarily succeeding, and also the acquisition by of Yahoo and, and AOL 
yeah. which didn't actually in the, exactly turn out great in the long term. So, yeah, I mean, I would first say that I love working at a company being owned by Verizon. I mean, Verizon treats its employees really well. They have great resources. And from a, you know, when you're on the partnership side and you control a large budget, it's a lot of fun. Like, there's no doubt that, like, right. let's yeah. just be totally honest, you know, spending a company's money buying sports assets is no doubt fun. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You get to go to a lot the of The buy side. The buy I side think. is fun. And there's no <laughs> doubt that the buy side is fun. Though the buy side is less fun when you inherit a deal and then your CEO says to you, so I've looked at the ROI on this deal. You're like, yes, I have looked at the ROI on this deal too, you know, and it's not where we want it to be. I think, I think the challenge, and you know this very well as professors, is when you do a deal, you need to understand what your objectives are and what the <laughs> ROI is and what you're going to be measured against and, you know, what you care about. You know, I mean, for Verizon and at and I'm not a marketing expert, but they were trying to do these deals to differentiate themselves so that when someone was choosing whether they wanted to go with T-Mobile or Verizon and at and they would choose Verizon. And it's not entirely clear to me always that that, that works right. with this strategy. And yeah, I think yeah. that the other, the other axiom that you know well is when you buy sports media rights, you have to spend a lot of money activating against them for them to yeah. work. And I think sometimes marketers forget that because it's a lot of money, sometimes even more than the rights to activate them well. And if I think, like, for example, when I was at one point, Yahoo Sports had live NFL games in the Yahoo Sports app for yeah. free, which was amazing. But right. almost no one knew. Right. So if you're mm. going to buy this amazing asset, which a lot of people would love to watch a game for free, especially cord cutters and cord nevers, but if they don't know about it, then then something's not working. Joe, I want to remind you that one of our OG podcast producers, grad of the program, James Appel, works at Verizon yes. still. Yeah. And he works on the sport in the sports stuff, including the NFL deal. Yeah. So uh, maybe as a follow up, we get James on to get the yeah. Verizon perspective. All I know is that the last few times I talked to him, he, having worked at the NFL, he would say to me, man, it's not easy working with a big league. <laughs> you know, I forget yes. how he phrased it, but they have so much to leverage, as we all know. Um, and I said, yeah, welcome. Welcome to the club. Like when you think about what side of the business you're on, to Schwar's point, you know, if you're on the buy side, you control the dollars, got a lot of leverage. Or if you have, in the case of the NFL, um, you have such a valuable property that the partners essentially have to bow to you to do all the things they want to do. And oftentimes it's never enough. So, yeah. Yesterday, um, during the NWSLPR meetings, I used the phrase uh, when we were comparing some things with with some of the other properties. And I said, the one thing that the NWSL doesn't have are the shackles of legacy. And, and those shackles right. with yeah. a, a legacy brand, whether it was the NFL or the NHL, slow you down. And, and they, they don't yeah. let you be nimble and kind of go. So, so speaking of nimble uh, and going, take us from beyond Yahoo and Verizon to where you went next. And then we can kind of transition into... MLS and, and some of the things you've done more recently. Yeah, so um, really loved my time at Verizon and got a call, you know, was happy where I was and was enjoying what I was doing, you know, shows you the power of networking, got a call from a recruiter who's now a very good friend, he said, how would you like to run a major league soccer team? And I was mm. like, I don't know, you're in the middle of whatever, you know, your 50th meeting of the day, sort of that just floats in. And it's funny, because I think maybe this is a lesson for women, interestingly, because I like to think that I'm quite self-confidence that the first thing I said to him, I said, you know, so I don't think I'm qualified to do that. I said, you know, I don't, which, which I actually pride myself on being, you know, the right mix of humble and comfort. I said, I don't really even like soccer that much. You know, I love sports. Soccer's not my favorite. And I don't really know anything about soccer. Um, 
and then there was a whole issue of moving my family to Chicago, which is which is really hard. Um, but it was funny because then he says to me, he goes, you know, Ishwara, they have a general manager. They don't need you to pick coaches or pick players. They want you to sell tickets and sponsorships and media rights and manage people. I said, oh, I think you could do that. Right. You know, so I also think there's a lesson there and also not taking a job that you think you can do 100% of when you walk in the door because that's not really good for anybody either. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when I walked in the door, I thought I could manage all of the operational things, finance, legal, and so on. And I, I had a pretty strong grasp of the media space and the sponsorship side because I did a lot of sponsorships work at IMG. But the ticket sales part, for example, was completely new to me. Mm-hmm. And that was good to learn. Yeah. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, no one who, in some ways, who should take one of these jobs walks in knowing everything. We're all learning something. Shwara, can, can you talk about the, um, it, I, I assume this is public knowledge, how many employees did the team have when you joined? Yeah, I think, you know, I think most soccer teams have somewhere, be, you know, MLS teams have somewhere between 100 and 200 people, roughly. Yeah, right. It, it depends. They're structured differently. Some of them are part of large holding companies that own other teams. Right. So that, exactly. that can make it different. And it depends if you own your stadium or not, because then you have right. to have people, you know, selling food and taking tickets and stuff like that. But that said, you're still whether it's 100 or 200. That is a that's a that's a large group. Yeah, you come in as group. the new president, and everybody's looking at you, yeah, uh, and wondering what you got. Did you have to um, kind of establish your leadership um, street cred in some way when you first got the job? Yeah, I think I think there's always some of that in any job. I think yeah. you know, I think for me, the two things that you know, you have to work towards. I'm not. I wasn't from Chicago, so I don't right. know Chicago. That's going to be true to right. anybody moving into a new city. I don't. I don't. I don't know the communities and the neighborhoods and the people and even the government officials. And two, I'm not a soccer expert. And mm-hmm. I was pretty transparent and straightforward about that. Like, I know sports pretty well. But then I think there's a certain good in coming in with some humility around what you do want to learn. Like, right. I found that the people who worked for me were really happy and excited to sit down next to me at a game and teach me soccer. They usually loved to do that. So maybe it's good to be humble about some things going in. But I think that's my favorite part of the job. I really like people and leading people and treating them well and helping them grow and learn. That's the best part of it, I think. It's interesting to think about the timing of you getting into that job and what happened in the aftermath with the MLS Apple deal. Yeah. Because the most notable aspect of that, as we've discussed on this pod and in in the program a lot, is MLS gave up other, excuse me, the teams in MLS gave up their local media deals, the RSN deals. Yep. What were you doing at the time and how important was it to the team? Yeah, so the fire before MLS took the rights nationally and went to um, Apple had a deal with WGN, which is a local free-to-air um, well-known network in Chicago. When I was a kid, I used to catch Cubs games in San Diego on WGN. Wow. So mm-hmm. they were a great partner, a great um company to work with. I think that um, the MLS Apple deal is great, though. I mean, I think it's going to be great for the league over the long term. I think in any rights deal, as you guys know, it's a mix of financials and reach. And it's always a balancing act before between the two. And I think, you know, it will take time for some people to figure out how to use digital tools. I mean, not to make fun of him, but like, though people do like my dad hates technology, but he has figured out how to use Netflix when there's a show that he wants to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. It's. Um, I mean, at, at this point, it's not exactly that hard, uh, right. technically. Um, but yeah, Joe, go ahead. So, take us through some of the experiences, um, especially the good ones at the fire. What What was it like? You know, when did you have that kind of 
aha moment that holy crap i'm the president of a, of a major league <laughs> soccer team yeah uh, and and by the way i don't think a lot of people would really understand the dynamic which you could explain of the fire in the culture of a very passionate sports city like chicago yeah i mean i think i mean the most i mean being president of a sports team is one of the most amazing jobs in the world all right it's an amazing job and it's a tremendous amount of fun i mean for me for those who don't know, the Fire play at Soldier Field, which is where the Chicago Bears and the NFL play. It holds around 60,000 people. And, you know, most MLS teams do not sell 60,000 tickets right. per game. So it's a big stadium. Most MLS stadiums are in the 20,000 neighborhood. But there's really nothing like standing inside the tunnel at Soldier Field when your team runs out and the fans scream, and, no, you're not on the field and there, none of the fans are there to see you. But you did help bring that together. You helped bring that joy to people. And it's it's an amazing feeling. I mean, it's it's really fun. I got to have my kid's birthday party at a fire game. Like, there's something very special about that. Um, I think the other thing that I think that's interesting about being a, a team president is you get to touch so many different parts of the business. Ticket mm -hmm. sales, sponsorships, we've talked about, but also there's facilities management, event planning, government relations, youth programs. It's just, there's so many different things going on. I think that's that makes it fun. Mm -hmm. And then did you, in that job, um, did you have to actively work? I, I don't mean to obsess about the media side, but like, did you have to really work at that media relationship or does it, or is it kind of run on its own? And how, so in other words, how involved were you with the media, were you and, and the people working for you in the media management side? So the league managed the deal with Apple. That was, I mean, with input from the team presence, but that was largely run by, right. you know, Seth Bacon and um, Gary right. Stevenson and their, their team. We did manage, as I think most team presidents did, their relationships with their local media. Right. So we, you know, radio, press, TV. I think we all produced our own games as well. Right. And produced mm -hmm. all of our own social content right. and stuff like that. But were you, were you weighing in on production issues and kind of content ideas and things like that? In other words, were you actively involved in that deal? The Apple deal? No, no, I'm sorry. When, oh, the, when, the local deal, the WTM when, deal. When team presidents in the yeah. old days of MLS had yes. to, yes, knowing that was a big chunk of the revenue, you got to yeah. make sure this TV deal is optimized. Yeah, you want you want to do a few things. You want to make sure that your production is good quality. Like we hired mm -hmm. really talented people to work in front of the camera and behind the camera. And we also wanted to make sure people tuned in and watched. I mean, WGN has great reach in Chicago, so they were really amazing about that. But as you know, it's also all these other types of content ideas, all the different social content. But also, one thing we thought a lot about was like content in other languages too. There are a lot of people who follow right. MLS games who want to watch in Spanish, for example. Right, right. Um, now, with this arrangement between MLS and Apple now, and the uncertainty with some of the, um, well, not some, many of the arrangements in the rest of the, the sports yeah. Pro Sports Universe with RSNs, yeah. could you say, and this is just an opinion question, do you think there's a higher likelihood it'll move in that direction where some of these regional, these team responsibilities are rolled up in order to accommodate a big tech partner? Yeah, I've given this a lot of thought because the one thing that, I don't know, I'm an, I was an economics major at Columbia undergrad and studied this. To me, it fundamentally comes down to demand. Do the same number or more people want to watch these sporting events? Because if they do, and I, I think they do, I think that, you know, that there's not, and there's been some evidence both ways, but I think overall, there are a, the same number of people want to watch sports. So there is demand to watch these sports. I think, I think two things. One, I think the 
the fact that I have to, you, were, you guys were talking about this earlier, the fact that I have to now subscribe to Peacock to watch the game this weekend, like, I don't, let's be honest, I don't really care about paying another $10 a month subscription, but once a household, and two, it just sort of offends my sensibilities. Like, for God's sakes, like, how many different services do I have to buy to watch these games? Like, I want to watch every single game in every single league. I want to watch, I will pay whatever you want. I just want to watch everything and not have to log in too many times. And I just want to press the up button. You want a bundle. You want a bundle. (laughs) But I want to watch, I watch everything. I want to watch every NBA game, every NHL game. I want to watch Athletes Unlimited. I want to watch Love. I want to watch everything. But it's not so easy. It's like my son, it just left. He's going with my husband this weekend to Canada to watch a hockey game in Montreal. And he wants to know how he's going to watch the Chiefs game on Saturday night. And I spent like 15 minutes trying to figure out how I was going to watch the Chiefs game in Canada. Like it's, it's really more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah. But more expensive. But what I will say is this is a here and now problem because Mm -hmm. people of a certain age can remember that not every game was on every broadcast platform, not that long ago. So it's a, it's a wealth of opportunity to to actually watch whatever it is you want to watch if you can figure out where to watch it, like yes. Ion TV, which Tom is going to go and find tonight. Channel three, um, channel three. I'm going to check if it's channel three here too. Later. Um, so, so I think that that's you know the balance of that, and especially given you know you got to go find money. So, so you know I would imagine that there you're going to see a little bit of this when the NBA deal comes up. The same thing, like what is you know widget tv and why did they buy the nba rights and how many of those games are going to be on so yeah um so you know all that's kind of factor into it um it's great that we're talking about kind of the the big picture issues um one thing i wanted to ask before um we let you go from the fire side is when you exit the fire um and you look back now on that experience which was, was you know i'm sure tremendously educational uh and you know and you can take the the best practices to the next place you go but are there a couple things that you look back and say, man, here are the things that I really learned that I had no idea about outside of the stuff that you talked about, ticket sales, you know, yeah. maybe on the human side, on the personnel side, on on kind of the management of the unknown side with a, t- with a team like that? Yeah. And two quick things I'll add to what we said earlier. The two things I'd add is one, you know, people really want to get to know players off the field. And I think that content is really important. Two, the other thing I'll say is that the one thing about every team producing its own content is production is really expensive and to centralize it, I think does make a lot of sense for teams. I mean, to have 30, you know, teams producing content and having all those, it's just expensive and, and hard. Um, what did I learn the most? I think I'm incredibly grateful. The people of Chicago were really warm and welcoming, but you know, they talk a lot about this in sports about like how, if you really want to have a great career in sports, you have to move a lot. And I think maybe this is personal, but I think moving a family is really hard and it's something I think it's something we don't talk about enough, but it, it is really hard. And I think, especially maybe as a woman in this industry, if your partner, in this case, my husband also works and you have kids in school, like it's, that's the most difficult thing about this. It's a good, it's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because we haven't talked about that, Joe, when you think about it. Like, yeah, so, so actually, let, let's just double yeah. click on that for a second and say, what did your family say when you told them? Like, were they like, oh, cool, let's move to Chicago or like, we don't want to go to Chicago? Serious. Like my husband has a great job that he loves in New York and they don't really, they're not thrilled about it. They weren't thrilled about him potentially working remotely. My kids are 12 and 14 and they have social lives. We have a house we own. I have a dog. Like, but it is amazing to run a team, but it's really hard to do that without moving. And I think there's this expectation in the industry that people will just move anywhere. And it's, I'm trying to think of the nice way to say it. I think it's particularly hard in families where they have kids or where both people work. Mm-hmm, of course, regardless yeah. of the family setup, I think that's it's really hard. I, 
don't yeah. know what the right answer is because I don't think you can really run a team without being a part of the community there. But yeah, it is right. hard. So did you actually do the move? or we did? did. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I wasn't aware of the extent to which that. you disrupted the family. Okay. That, that's, that's really hard. And now yeah. my daughter, who's 14, you know, my 14-year-old daughter rules the house. She goes, Mom, you know, whatever you do next, that's fine, but I'm not moving. <laughs> but she's a, she's a freshman in high school. She doesn't want to move. Yeah, you know, that's that's the toughest time. So yeah. um, uh, I remember when we moved, we moved our family all of six miles. Uh, and my, <laughs> my daughter, who was in, in, I think, sixth grade at the time, when we told her we were moving, she, she said she felt like her family was abducted by aliens. Because why would anybody ever want to move all of six miles, by the way? It wasn't like yeah. we were moving to Chicago. Maybe a new school district, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what it was. She was leaving her friends. But it worked out fine. And and by the way, they respond. Anyway, yeah. um, so Tom, in the, in the time we have left, um, Ishwara, um, I'd like some, to hear some bigger picture things, learnings that you had about the sports business, um, especially, like I said, since you've left the fire, yeah. um, that, that you'll apply to classroom or wherever you go next that again you had no idea about and, and maybe it's something you learned at yahoo verizon yeah. and it all kind of has been crystallized when you turn around and say wow now i understand why we did this kind of screwed up thing it makes a lot more sense so yeah i mean our friend jeff reese told me one one really valuable thing when we were doing these negotiations with betting operators he said to me he goes you know Ishwar, you you know what you want in this deal you know what yahoo verizon wants and you're well prepared you have all your points and outline he goes, but I don't think you've ever sat in the seat of the CEO of the betting company and thought about what they're looking to get in the deal. Mm. Like, what will make him look good to his boss? I was like, mm -hmm. it's true. I never thought about that. I never thought about what I wanted right. to achieve. But right. yeah. it's good for me to know what his goals and objectives are and even to ask that question. Yeah. yeah. Um, one. And two, I think I, I know we all talk a lot about networking in the industry and how much it matters. I would add just a few maybe points on that is one, have your people and recognize that you don't have to click with everyone. That's okay. And to, you know, you don't, I guess this is maybe for, more for students. You don't always have to look to network with the CEO of the company. Sometimes you'll get a lot more out of talking to someone at the company who has two to five years more experience than you. They'll, they might have more time and it might be more relevant. But, um, I always, I mean, I, I always try to treat people kindly. It's a small industry and we all come back around and together a lot. And I guess lastly, just try to be, Maybe this sounds too kind, but try to be empathetic. Like you really don't mm -hmm. know what's going on in people's right. lives or why they're yep. doing a certain thing and give them just a little bit of grace Yeah, when you can. That's great. Great I'm points. Glad, yeah, really great points. I'm glad you said yeah. that. So um, b before we get to our last segment, um, just want to hear your thoughts on your embarking on this academic yeah. career, which uh, yeah. will be in a, approximately a week and a half, apparently. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking? How, how do you feel about it? I'm really excited. I mean, I was a student at Columbia for a long time. I go to like tons of Columbia sporting events. So I, I love Columbia. I love the campus. And for me, it's like just really an honor to get to teach at the university. I'm hoping my kids will go there, but don't get me into trouble with the admissions department. <laughs> They'll have to earn that. Right. Um, I'm really excited. I think the class I'm teaching is a good fit for my skill set. Um, I like I mentioned, we'll just talk about the class. Yeah. I don't think I mentioned the name of it. I, I know what it is, but why don't you describe yeah. it? So yeah. it's sports revenue strategy and analysis. So for example, we would give you data on a made up basketball team that you're the president of. And then you have to explain to your owner what you could do to improve ticket sales relative to the teams in two other cities. Interesting. Which I've I lived. So I, you know, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Do you, think, use, do you use real case studies from the industry? When we do, you we do a them? lot of Harvard Business Review case studies, but yeah. the okay. data is largely made up. 
just right. so not right. to anger. Which anyone. is true of probably most sports, by the way, that the data is <laughs> yes. made up. So. <laughs> the data can so. be hard to compare. <laughs> yeah, um, so. The thing that I think makes it really interesting, though, is that I've met a lot of people who are really good at data analysis, and they're super valuable, but I find often the missing pieces. Can you actually tell me what matters? Can you explain to me in yeah. one page, okay, so I have all this data, but what do I do with it? Yep. What does it mean? Well, let us know. Let us know when you find those people, by the way, because we're really yeah. Interested. Probably, I have twenty of them starting in ten yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. So um, you've got you've got. Did, did you did you kind of inherit that syllabus, or did you have to rebuild it, or what? Yeah, I did inherit the syllabus, so I'm thankful to the professors who taught me before. I'm, yeah. I have an extra week from last summer, so I'm adding a class. So we're going to do a yeah. class on IMG because my predecessors were mostly lead people which is great, but I thought it would be good to do an agency example right. too. Yeah. Yeah. I might even uh, have a few idea. special guest speakers for some of them. So yeah. yep. it'll be fun. Well, the, the guest speakers are always a popular thing mm -hmm. to do. And, uh, and, and the thing about being in New York right. um, is there's a, there's a uh, embarrassment of riches with great talent to bring in. And I think yeah, what we've sure. learned through the years is that most f folks we meet are really happy to yeah. jump in and and do an hour or an hour and a half and uh, the feedback I get and I think Joe Joe would agree is universally positive like what a great experience yeah. so much fun because I think everybody who's in the market to your point earlier is that you can help each other out and some of that helping is just sharing your knowledge right. um, yeah. particularly if it's relevant to a specific subject that you're into is incredibly valuable and I think hearing it uh, from time to time from someone other than ourselves <laughs> yeah. is beneficial. Cause like, Hey, sometimes when my guests are making a point that I've made, I'm like, see, I'm making this up. You know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I even wore my Columbia blue sweater today. So I'm going, nice. I, I don't know. I've been to lots of the basketball games. So I don't know. It's fun to work somewhere. You're really passionate about that's always, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. It's a great lesson. So, um, our, th our trio of questions now okay. as we've started this, thanks to our, our entry into the PBR. Um, how do you stay up to date with everything? You've touched on some of the examples of advice that you give. So maybe there's a couple more pearls that you'd like to throw. And then the last thing, which really people have started to love is like, what's on your shelf? What's the, the item that you have? What's like the funnest, know? coolest thing you've gotten in the sports, the sports yeah. world that you, that so. you really cherish? All right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I'll take them in that order. How do I step to I mean, I'm sure I read all the same publications that you do. I think I encourage people to watch sports that they don't usually like. It's fun to watch different sports and watch sports in different countries is one of my favorite things to do. And from different countries, whenever I travel, I go to different sporting events and watch their local TV just to get ideas and understand different cultures. That's cool. I like that idea. I, like, yeah. I also yeah. encourage people the same thing is true in politics. Listen to the political broadcaster who you don't agree with, you know, because you know yeah. what the person you agree with is going to say. Try to understand. Right the other side a little bit. Um, I love to talk to people. So I'm always out there talking to people and understanding, especially people in different demographics, how they watch and why they watch. Like I'm famous for asking Uber drivers about their sports habits. And it's actually a great non-political topic and people are usually happy to share. Right. I ended up with a cab driver the other day from the Dominican Republic and we had a great chat about baseball. We love talking to me about baseball. Um, so I guess that was one. That's a good answer, Joe. Ask your Uber <laughs> well, It's driver. actually, you know, the funny thing is that reminded me really quickly before we get to the other two. One of the great answers that Adam Silver once gave, he was at a sports business, um, sports PR summit uh, that Brian Berger puts together. And he said, you know, where, you know where I get some of my information? I actually talk to telemarketers when they call me and I ask them questions about themselves. So I don't so, do that. Yeah, I think <laughs> those I days might be over. Yeah. 
Anyway, right, so some career some career advice beyond some of the points you've already made. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say is, if at all possible, be someone who generates money for your organization. It, those are, I mean, it sounds easy to say, and it's not right. everybody's forte, but organizations will always keep and need people who bring in money in one way or another. Um, and don't be afraid to do something you've never done before. Like, take a risk, do a job that you're not sure you know how to do. And I always encourage students, I think everybody looks at the sports world as if there's only a few different types of companies they can go work at, that they can only go work at a team or a league. But there's a lot of other cool things to do in sports, be it mm -hmm. tech companies or agencies or broadcasters, you know, mm -hmm. social media mm -hmm. companies. And the other thing is, I didn't start in sports. You don't have to start your career in sports. Right. You can learn really useful skills outside of sports and bring them in. Cool. And then the last thing is, what's your, what's your thing? Uh, so what are the cool things I have in here? I have my SBJ 40 under 40 award, which sounds arrogant, but like <laughs> I worked really hard for that. And it meant so much to me that it's like, it's just, I don't know, to me, it's just a sign of like working hard and that it pays off. And then I really like politics. So I have, I don't ever take pictures of myself with athletes. You know, when I've worked in the sport for long enough, I refuse to ask for autographs or photos, mm. which my kids really hate because I, sometimes I get really cool experience. So no autographs. But I have a few photos with some politicians that I really looked up to um, that I met when I was at Columbia. Really? And then I have, should I tell you who? Yeah, sure, for sure. Why not? Uh, I think my politics are clear, so it's fine. I have a picture of me with Hillary Clinton, Warren Buffett, and Al Gore. Interesting. Which, that's know, a good me. That's a good group. That's like kind of like, who's at your lunch table this day? So, yeah. So. And then I have tons of like old family photos of like my families from like generations ago. And those... I know, those keep you rooted, I think. Yeah, so. for sure. That's fun. Cool. Yeah, I like that segment, Joe. That's good. Yeah. Get a little, especially with all the Zoom calls and stuff yeah. like that. And, and um, people, it's amazing. We've already seen it in the short, short time we've done it. People turn around and literally like take something off their shelf. So right. I'm just going right. to yeah. show you my dog, my golden yeah. retrievers yeah. sitting here with me. So I mean, I'm cool. staring at right in front of my, I've mentioned this probably once or twice on the show. I've got the premier issue of Sports Illustrated frame right there from 1954 i inherited it from my oh, father cool. yeah that's that's mine so cool not to mention the albums of course joe yeah, yeah. the cool. albums for me like everything yeah i spend a lot of time on my peloton so most people see that when we do it that's true i do <laughs> see that there yeah. <laughs> all right well that was cool that was fun um Ishwar, thanks for spending time with us and thanks for having me wish you well on a successful first semester yeah um, uh, by the way, for uh, in the pre in the pre tape, Ishwara mentioned her classes runs from eight to ten in the evening, which is an unusual time slot. There's not that many of them, and that adds a little bit of extra pressure to be uh, to be good and lively and energetic because it's not necessarily that easy at eight o'clock. So that, yep. that's a, that's a good time, jump in, <laughs> jump into the frying pan, you know, in the first yeah. time around. Cool. Yeah, I think well, I don't um, have enough tenure to pull a better time, but maybe maybe eh, that'll job. change. So <laughs> just tell just tell people you don't want to do it, and then all of a sudden it changes. So, um, so last question, uh, Ishwar, where can people find you? What's the easiest way? Oh, they're welcome to email me, text me. I like to walk around Central Park. I do all of my calls there, so I'm trying to That's do fewer cool. meetings by Zoom and do mm. them like actually while exercising as opposed to eating. So. Interesting, going to audio only. Like old Audio school. only, but I like to exercise. I've been trying to get my time. No, in. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, for, for walking, that's a good. That's a good point. It's a good way to. to I spend uh, like get... three hours a day exercising, and so there's only so many hours in the day. So. Yeah. 
Very cool. All right. Or you can just um, go, you know, if you want an in-person meeting, you go to Central me? Park and track her down. You can find me in Central Park at noon or Lewiston on the sixth floor, <laughs> yeah. Mondays at 8 p.m. Do, do you do the reservoir? <laughs> do you do the reservoir? I do. I do the reservoir every day. Wow. Good for you. It's good for well, I do my best thinking when I get out. That's one of like the most magical places in New York. So, so it's sure. nice that you get to do that every day. That's, that's And you'll probably beautiful. pass Mary Wittenberg running the other way. Yeah, time. running. She's on the east side. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. right. She's a little right, faster cool. than I am, I think. Yeah. So. yeah. Cool. Well, Tom, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. Um, Shwara, uh, thanks again. Um, really nice to uh, chat with you. And what an interesting career. And also really good, I think really interesting perspective on some of the issues you raised on, re- you know, the confidence you can bring to new jobs or recruiter calls, the idea, the idea of like what's really going on with a relocation. You can't get you know, you, you can't get too married just to the big, the big opportunity. You got to take into account what it really means for your life. So I, I thought that was good. We really haven't covered uh, that issue. And I, and I, I thought that was really thoughtful. Um, good luck this semester. We'll see you on caps. Although Joe and I are usually not there at eight o'clock, but, but maybe one of these days we'll see it. In an I, would say, I would say never. So, but we'll, we'll yeah, like even when we have a basketball game, Ishwar, yeah. you'll see that even when we have these evening receptions like that, Joe, Joe's usually out of there by quarter to eight, the latest. Me too. I'll be early and leaving early. He pulls the Irish (laughs) exits all the time. And and I'll say to somebody, what happened to Jones? I go, he left like an hour ago. Yeah, Yeah, that'll be me. I'm more of a morning person. And basketball, our last shout out is to the amazing Columbia. The men are doing really well. The women's team, which we're going to have. Megan Griffin is really awesome too. Yeah, 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 she's a multi uh, a, a multi appearance uh, uh, mm-hmm. guest on the show. She's she's amazing. So wait, so, so they're just getting into the Ivy League section of the season. Yeah, right that's the first game, the Penn game I went to. That yeah, was fun yeah. last week. They beat Penn, yeah. and Do she's a Columbia alum too. They, and they have another one this weekend. I think they might be away this weekend. After okay. that, yeah, and that now every weekend for anyone who wants to watch great basketball on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, the men and the women alternate homes, home and away. Certainly worth the trip. Uh, to to Levy and Jim to watch them play because it's, it's going to be a treat. And the Ivy League basketball is probably better this year, men's and women, than it's been in decades. And so, it's $10. Yeah. You can sit in the front row for $10. I mean, it's a yeah. great deal. Where else can you get that? <laughs> Other than PBR. Although that, and that I was don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, Joe, good luck tonight with your draft. I will I be on tuning into Channel 3. Yeah. What time? What time does it start? Uh, Pacific? Eight, eight, eight Eastern time, right after right after they exit Hawaii Five O. So okay, great. I'll be looking for it. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. If you have any thoughts on topics or guests, we're all ears, as I always say. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode.